Amen. Uh, just coming off that song, and, and as we get into the time where we open God's Word together, let me, just, let me just read a few verses from Psalm 24. It says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false, or has sworn dis- deceitfully. They will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of their salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of Jacob. Let's pray together and then we'll get to Colossians. Jesus, we are here today to seek your face. So Father, uh, here we are people who, who uh, are broken, who mess up, who sin. Uh, but Jesus, we know that because of, of uh, your sacrificial death on the cross, you have made it possible for us to have clean hands that you have purified us by sprinkling us with your blood, and that through your resurrection conquering death once and for all, uh, we can ascend to your holy place where we can see you uh, because you said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And so Jesus, as we open your word today to hear from a guy who wrote to a church trying to figure out what it means to be Christians 2,000 years ago, uh, here we are in Asheville, North Carolina, 2,000 years later, still trying to figure out how to be Christians in this life. And so open our minds uh, so that we can have your mind. Open our our ears so that we can hear your word. Open our hearts so that we can learn to love you more. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're on the almost last week of our series in Colossians. We went through it most of the fall, took a break for Advent, and uh, we're in in Colossians chapter 4. We're just going to look at a few verses today, verses uh, 2 through 6. So if you have, uh, you know, your phone or tablet and, and you care about following along in the same translation, I'm using the Christian Standard Bible today, the CSB. Uh, so you can, you can jump on there. Uh, I'm going to read these verses for us, and then uh, we'll jump into the sermon today. So chapter 4, verse 2 of Colossians, it says, Devote yourself to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time, and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Uh, just thinking about that first phrase, devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, a few years ago, um, close to 10 years ago, I, re- I remember going through Colossians, reading that, and really getting, uh, I don't know if it was conviction or shame or a little bit of both, uh, but about my prayer life. You know, statistically, most uh, Christians say that prayer is the one thing they wish they were better at the one thing they wish they spent more time doing or knew how to do better. And so at the time, Ann and I were living in a place uh, where um, there's a coffee shop right down the street. And at that coffee shop, every day, there's a man who would go, like a man who was like pretty well known. He he had written books. He had pastored a large church, and he had written a book on prayer, okay? And I remember I'd run into this guy. I got to know him, and one day after reading this verse— and after kind of taking inventory of my own life, I went and, and I, I, I ran into him. I knew he went to the same. Like, I, I love, one of the things I love about uh, people who are more experienced in life than I am is that they just do what they like and they don't do what they don't like. You know, so this guy, like, he went to the same coffee shop at the same time every day, ordered the same drink, and sat down and did the same thing. And I was like, I respect that. You know, like, I, like, I don't have that kind of rhythm in my life. But, but I knew he'd be there, so I went to the coffee shop. And I sat down with him, and I was talking to him, and we had gotten to know each other. And I asked him if he would, if he would consider teaching me to pray. Like, hey, you've, you've, written, you've written a book on this. You're kind of well-known. You lead conferences. You speak all over the world for this. And he, and he very kindly looked at me and said, no, I will not. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, and I remember he said, he said, if you spend more time trying to figure out how to pray, then praying, you'll never learn how to do it. And that kind of sparked something in me uh, to start praying more. Now listen, I'm not like a master prayer, like I'm not a guru, I'm not speaking at any conferences or writing books anytime soon, uh, which is great, but I feel like at this point I'm at least in the school of prayer, like I'm a kindergartner. 
you know? And I think that's a, that, that's a good place for me to be. I, I think just in, like, hearing what he said has sparked something to where I, I can understand phrases, like from the Psalms where it says, I thirst for you, God. My whole body faints for you. Like Psalm 27, it says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. I'm starting to understand that more. Like, yeah, that's like, I want that. Like that, I want that. I want that. And so here as a church family in Western North Carolina, what I want to do is looking at these verses, take some time and hopefully call us individually and collectively as a church into a deeper prayer life. Uh, What we're going to see today is Paul basically just kind of gives some insights on what prayer is and why we should pray. Okay, so so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what prayer is, and then we're going to kind of see what prayer does, like like why pray and then what is prayer. And so here here's the most, like because I am a researcher and I've read books, out of all, all the kind of books I've read, everything, every, there's a bunch of definitions for prayer. Some of us, for Enneagram 4s, we like the, the definition like it's lifting your heart up to God. You know, we like that. Some of us are a little more like cut and dry, black and white. We're like, no, like give me a full definition of prayer. Like what is prayer? And for some of us, prayer looks different. Like maybe we grew up in a home where prayer was praying out loud all at the same time. Maybe prayer for you is quiet, silent, listening, whatever it is. But here's kind of where, where the definition that we're going to use for today is that prayer is seeking intimacy with God. Prayer is seeking intimacy with God. And so if you think about that definition, uh, it, it's the way that we live out saying that I have a personal relationship with Jesus. For a lot of us, and for myself, for most of my Christian life, I would say that, but I also would say that I have little to no prayer life at all. And if prayer is seeking intimacy with Jesus, it's how we live out when we say that we have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's, it, it's, prayer is where we get to answer that question, do I really believe that I can hear God? Do I really believe that God hears me? It's how we live out that value, like, like Fred mentioned earlier, that we live with Jesus. One of our values here at Fellowship Asheville. And that, and that may sound really big. Like, like, saying, like talking about prayer, talking about seeking intimacy with Jesus, the idea of like hearing God or God hearing me, that, that may sound like overwhelming or unreachable. And if you feel that way, Let me just say a very smart guy by the name of Timothy Keller agrees with you. In his book on prayer, here's what he says. He says, prayer is awe, it's intimacy, it's struggle, and yet it's the way to reality. There is nothing more important or harder or richer or life-altering. There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. And so when we think about what Paul said, devote yourselves to prayer, It's important to remember that for the first 1,500 years of of church history, basically up until the Enlightenment and the Reformation, theology and doctrine was primarily a principle that came under the practice of prayer. Because remember, the, the, the early church didn't have the Bible as we have it. They had a story of Jesus, and they had a connection with him where they could pray. So, so when we talk about prayer, we talk about devoting yourselves to prayer, there's kind of just two kind of notes pastorally that I want to I hit because already some of us may be feeling like uh, a lot of shame because maybe you're feeling like, man, my prayer life is garbage or non-existent. Or you may be saying that, I, man, I don't feel like I can pray because it's been so long since I prayed last that God doesn't want to hear from me anymore. Like, it would be too embarrassing. The idea of going and talking to someone that I talk about in such high esteem, but I haven't talked to in so long, if I went back and prayed now, he wouldn't want to hear from me. And I just want to lovingly challenge that and and ask you not to estimate God's ability to show mercy based on your ability to feel it or show yourself mercy. Okay? Please remember that our Father in heaven, who we pray to, is the one imaged running out to the prodigal son, 
A lot of scholars think that the father would have done that because as the prodigal son came back into town, the townspeople would have kept him away because they would have shunned him and shamed him. But the father ran to him. The prodigal son who squandered everything the father had given him welcomes him home. And so you, you may feel intimidated. Like I said, statistically, prayers is like the one thing that most Christians, especially in America, wish they were better at or think they don't do enough. So as we get into way today, the kind of other note I want, to, I want to point out is that this is not Paul writing to Timothy, who was probably like the first megachurch pastor in Ephesus. Like Paul is not writing to some like spiritual guru, or he's not writing to like his friend Apollos, who like planted churches and preached the gospel all over the known world at the time. Paul's writing this to like all the folks that we've heard about in chapter three, fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, slaves, masters, children, all the people who would have gathered together in a church house to hear this letter read out loud, those are the people Paul's talking to. Average, everyday humans who, who have heard the good news of Jesus Christ and have placed their faith in him and are just trying to figure out how to live this life. It's not like Paul's writing to people and we read, devote yourselves to prayer, and you're like, well, that's for them, that can't be for me, because it's for us. He, he's, wrote, he's written it, and so it's, it's an important observation to point out because I want us to remember that, that devoting yourself to prayer is not something that like, well, if I was in full-time ministry, I'd have the chance to do that. Because Paul is writing to just, an, just everyday churchgoers like us. Okay, so hopefully that encourages you. That, that the idea of devoting yourself to prayer, staying alert in it with thanksgiving, is something that's totally possible for any of us in the room to do. Okay, so, so let's talk about what prayer is for a bit. We gave a de- definition of prayer. Here's something else that we kind of learn from that phrase, devote yourselves to prayer, is that prayer is a responsibility. Prayer is a responsibility. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it. Like the Keller quote earlier, there, there's nothing that's so great as prayer. And it's not because prayer in itself is great. Like there's all kinds of like psychological like health things about like, you know, meditation and stillness and silence, and I'm all for that. But prayer is a means to an end. The end being intimacy with God, speaking to him, hearing from him, that's why it's a responsibility. And I want to be cautious because you may hear that and you're like, legalistic senses start tingling. Anybody, anybody hear, hear me say prayer is a responsibility or anybody see that and just start thinking like, that sounds odd. I kind of phrased it like that on purpose because if prayer is seeking intimacy with God, th- then prayer is something that we should be doing because of who Jesus is. I, I, I try to be very cautious with the word should, but I think it's important because like, let's, just ta- let's just take a step back and think about a phrase in Ephesians where Paul's writing and he says that because of Jesus, we now can boldly approach the throne of grace. Okay, so, so let, let's just set the context for just a bit. Paul is a Jew. You know, we know from his kind of autobiography he gave in Galatians and some of the other letters that, that he was a Pharisee, uh, meaning that like super strict. He, he had the first five books of the Bible memorized and it was all about we must do the right things in order for us to be holy so that God can come dwell with us. Okay, so in order, in Paul's mind, in order for us to be able to be in the presence of God and have any kind of personal relationship, intimacy, to know him, to hear him, we have to do everything so perfectly and know all the right things that once a year there would be one person, the high priest would be chosen, and they would walk into the Holy of Holies and be in the presence of God. Okay, so in the temple there were different layers and only certain people could go so far. They would go in. They would do that, and whoever the high priest was, they would tie a rope around their foot with bells on it because they were so confident in entering God's holiness that they had read all the stories in the Old Testament and there were people who would just fall over dead. And so Paul probably growing up, going to Pharisee school, you know, like getting his degrees, get, he would go, he would see, like we read about in, in Christmas time where Zechariah went into the Holy of Holies, and they would see somebody, the, the holiest guy in Israel, chosen by Lot, by God's command, to go into God's presence, tie a rope around his foot, because he thought, I may not make it. Like, I may have a stain, I may have forgotten to like put the, 
blood on the earlobe. You know, if you've actually made it through Leviticus in your Bible reading plan. Like, I may have forgotten that, like, one blood on the toe or something, and, like, I might die going into God's presence here. So when Paul's saying, like, hey, because of what Jesus has done, we can now boldly approach the throne of grace. Like, imagine how huge that is for Paul to say that. Like a guy who literally probably had friends or like an uncle or a dad who was the high priest that year went into the presence and tied the rope on because he thought he might die is now saying because of what Jesus has done for us, because Jesus has made it possible for us not only to be in God's presence but for us to be his temple where his presence enters us, we can boldly and confidently approach the throne of grace. So when I say prayer is a responsibility, It's because it's us responding to what Jesus has done for us and made possible. And it's us coming to God. It's us coming to him. Right? Like like for us, like a lot of us, it doesn't mean doing more. Okay? So so if like your your like legalistic senses tingled when I said prayer is a responsibility, for a lot of us, it probably means doing less and creating enough space to be still and just become more aware of God's presence that's already been made possible to us. See, prayer is not about figuring out your preference and expecting other people to pray like that. It's about getting into God's presence. It's about doing what it takes to, to be with him, to become aware of his presence. It's like when, when we read, like, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean doing, like, a 24-7 prayer meeting all the time. Maybe that's what God's calling you to. If so, Godspeed. But, but what it, I think what it really means is becoming aware of the reality of what Jesus has made possible for us, that we are God's temple. His spirit is living in us, and it's a constant awareness of who he is. See, for Paul, growing up as a, as a Jew, growing up as a, becoming a Pharisee, prayer would have been something that was super structured. Like, like at bare minimum, just to be considered a good Jew, not, not a Pharisee and, and all of that stuff, he would have said the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He would have said that every morning before his feet hit the floor and every night before his head hit the pillow. But then on top of that, there would have been prayer times at the temple. Every, every few hours, they, he would have gone to the synagogue or to the temple and prayed, and there would be certain times of prayer all the time. But he didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, devote yourself to prayer. Make sure you meet certain times a day. Make sure you say these words. Make sure you do these things. What he's saying is, Devote yourselves to prayer and stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Like, like Fred said earlier, as we think about who Jesus is and what he's done, what he's made possible for us, how he is, all the things we read in Colossians in the first few chapters about how Jesus took away our sin, how he conquered death, how he, he made us public spectacles of the powers of darkness, nailing them to the cross. When we think of that, when we think of the goodness of God, it keeps us alert in prayer and it draws us to him. See, Paul didn't put any of those regulations, any of the things that he would have grown up knowing what prayer is and and probably his own prayer life. He just said, devote yourselves to prayer and you stay alert in your prayer by remembering who God is. That's my paraphrase of of verse two right there. So some of your translations may say, continue steadfastly in prayer. Either way, Paul's calling this church into a life marked by prayer. Devotion means something that you, I like the word devote better because it, it, it carries kind of that word that it means you're, you're saying yes to one thing, which means no to a hundred other things. Like, like when you devote yourselves to something, it means that you're allotting time and energy and resources to make something happen, which means you may not let other, make other stuff happen. All right, so, so last year, uh, the Bureau of Labor put out some statistics of how the average American over the age of 15 years old, spends their time, okay? If you audited your 2023 and looked at your daily averages on how you spent your time and made a pie chart, okay, how would that look? Well, the Bureau of Labor kind of did that for us, and they, and, and they, they came to the conclusion that uh, the average American ages 15 and up spend 5.3 hours a day in leisure or sports activity. Okay, so that's about one-fifth of your day, maybe a little bit more, right? Did I do that math right? I went to Bible college. Somebody help me. Is that the right math? Sure. Great. I like that. Sure. That's fine. It doesn't matter, right? 
Okay, so about three hours a day, on average, Americans spend watching TV or some kind of screen, streaming something, watching, just, just sitting there watching three hours a day. Outside of that, outside of work and school, uh, three hours a day watching screens, uh, doing something, about half of the day, or half of an hour every day, sorry, uh, was spent like playing video games or, or talking on the phone. Um, about 20 minutes a day, uh, there were different things, about 20-minute segments that would be like just hanging out, scrolling. They said the average American spends about 20 minutes a day scrolling without stopping. So if you think of every time you're on social media or on your phone and you flip up and you don't look at anything, total that up. The average American spends 20 minutes a day doing this or this. So outside of work and school, that means the main responsibility we devoted ourselves to three hours a day, one-eighth of our day? Yeah. One-eighth of our day, every day, was watching TV. And I'm, I'm not against leisure. I'm not against, like, I'm not against, like, I'm going to go home today and I'm going to watch Tottenham Hotspur beat Manchester United at 11.30. I know. I know you're the chairman of our elders, but God had a word for me to tell you that today. <laughs> and you're a Man U fan. But I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying, like, like, what would happen if we took a third of that three hours and devoted it to prayer? Because when you're devoting yourself something, you are saying no to a lot of stuff so you can say yes to something. How many, how many series this past year did you devote yourself to watching all the way through? I counted up four for myself, okay? Like, like when you devote yourselves to something, what are you devoting yourselves to? What are you allocating your time, your energy, and resources to so that you can say no to other stuff so you can get that thing done. Because Paul is telling us the one thing in this whole letter he said devote yourselves to. He's told us to continue in stuff. He's told us to remind ourselves of stuff. The one thing he told us to devote ourselves to is prayer. And by staying alert in it, by being thankful for who God is. See, it's taking time with Jesus. It's developing that intimacy with him. When we reflect on the reality of who Jesus is and what he did for us, we, we feel a healthy responsibility to be with him. Like the older I get the, and the more just kind of life I'm going through with family and kids and house stuff and everything, the more appreciation I have for the wisdom of my parents and grandparents. I've probably called my grandparents more in the last year than I ever have in my entire life. And it's not out of this guilt or shame. It's because the more I realize what they have gone through before me, the more I want to hear from them. The more I like want to get a taste like, how in the world did y'all do this without Google? You know, like, <laughs> like y'all didn't even have car seats when my kids, you know, like when my parents were kids, y'all just threw them in the back of the station wagon and hope for the best. Like, how did y'all survive, you know? And now we're talking about, anyway, it's a whole different sermon. We'll talk about that in mentoring moms on Thursday. That y'all will, y'all will do that. But I'm just saying, like, like the, like, the more I go through life and I appreciate what my parents have done and what they've offered me and, and how they kind of, like, went ahead of me to create, the more I want to sit down and just talk to them and hear from them and learn from them. And that's what it is with Jesus. When we're alert in Thanksgiving, when we're thinking about what he's done for us, it draws us into that healthy responsibility of, of hearing from him, of gleaning from him, of listening to him, to set aside distractions so we can devote ourselves to intimacy. I love the way Richard Foster says it. He says, if the key to God's heart is prayer, then the door is Jesus Christ. How good of God to provide for us a way into his heart. How good of God to do that. That's what this whole thing is. That's what prayer is. It's being with God. God isn't interested in you living your best life as defined by the culture around you. He's interested in speaking to you and hearing from you and walking through life with you, which incidentally is going to be your best life. So that's what prayer is. Prayer, prayer is intimacy with God. Prayer is responsibility. But it's also, here's what prayer does. Prayer expands our capacity. Okay, so, so, so look what he said. He said, at the same time, pray for us also that God may open a door for us, the word, to speak the mystery of Christ. Um, 
And then, and then he tells us in verse 5, act wisely towards outsiders, making most use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. So it talks about pray for us also. For a lot of us, prayer can be like the list that we have, and it becomes more self-absorbed and self-focused than it does outwardly focused. But, but he tells us too, like, hey, devote yourselves to prayer, stay alert, but then also pray for us. I love Charles Taylor, he's a philosopher and a sociologist and a psychologist, and he wrote that the dominant worldview of our day, so secularism, okay, secularism is, is the default worldview of our day that's trying to get everyone to privatize their own beliefs. That's the goal of it. Secularism in our world is not trying to destroy religion, it's just trying to get it to keep it to yourself so that you don't project it on other people and ruin it. But, but here's what he, he calls secularism and the worldview that, that dominates our culture, he calls it he says that it creates the trap of the imminent frame. So, so, so basically it's this picture of we're able to see this whole world. And the imminent frame that, that the worldview that we live in, the dominant worldview of our day, it creates a picture frame like an 8 by 11 and it only allows you to see the world that much at a time. Right? Like, like even the phrase we say like, hey, you do you. Like, hey, if you, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, you do whatever you want to do. What that does, that takes concern for the world around us and it narrows it down to this big. Like even our social media feeds, the algorithms we get are designed like, have you ever noticed how you may follow like hundreds of people but you see like four? It's like you're, you're, you're like few people, friends that you like and comment on their stuff and then like one or two celebrities and that one person that you leave on there that you don't like that you can rage at and judge them and not judge other people in real life. I know y'all do it. Think about it. It's not just me. Okay, we're all there. But there's so much more to life than what we see on our, on our Instagram feed, on our TikTok feed. Like, and what praying does, praying allows us, when we get with God and we pray for other people and we pray for the world, it allows us, think about it, to join a community of faith that has been talking to God for thousands of years across the globe in how many different languages? Like, that's what praying does. When we're praying, it says, pray for us also that this may happen for us. It's so easy for us to think that our world only exists within this bubble. And some of us, intentionally or unintentionally, work really hard to keep our bubble as small as possible. But we are called through prayer to, to, to develop a capacity for other people. And not just for other people, but also what's possible. Like, look what he said. He said, pray for us that God may open the door for us, like that God may do it, that, that we can speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. See, prayer allows us to ask God to do things that we cannot do on our own power. I, I was, I was uh, in my Bible reading plan, I'm going through like the, the original triple-double, 1st, 2nd Kings, Samuel Chronicles and all that, and it talked about there was a king, and, and, and he developed a, like, a, like a disease in his foot, and, and it says that he sought the physicians, but he didn't seek God about it. So it didn't get any better. Well, then his son comes along, and it says that, that he was a man after God's heart because he called after the Lord before seeking the physicians. See, I'm not against all the things that humans have accomplished. Like, modern medicine, huge fan. You know what I'm saying? Like, like technology, big fan. I'm, I'm, I've got an iPad here. I used to handwrite my notes. This is way better, you know? This is way better. But what prayer does open, it reminds us that God can do things and wants to do things in our life that we cannot do for ourselves. I mean, even the way we think about miracles, right? Like for most of us, the idea of a miracle, maybe we even say it can only happen within our framework of like reason and science and possibility, not against any of those things. But it's interesting that all of that comes back to an idea that says, I think, therefore I am. And it brings back that imminent frame of what's possible. It brings back that imminent frame of, of this thing can only exist if God would do it. Can I tell you all a personal story right now? We're, we're selling our house. And I don't know if you've looked around, but like things aren't selling. And I'm preparing this message this week. And God's just like, like in a good way, this is how we relate to God. Like healthy gut punch from the Holy Spirit every day. And so my prayer went from like, Hey, God, maybe this will happen. Just some kind of vague hope to like, okay, Jesus, if you made a coin come out of a fish's mouth to teach Peter a lesson, you can sell my house no problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's that story in, in, in Luke, 
11, where, where Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, and he tells them, like, hey, there's this friend, and he has company come over last minute, and, and in that culture, hospitality was everything. If you're not a hospitable person, you were, like, the, the worst of the worst. Okay, so, so the story goes that Jesus is telling this parable about prayer, where this guy comes to visit his friend in the middle of the night, and he doesn't have any food. So he goes over to his neighbor's house, and he's knocking on the door, and he's like, hey, I just got a friend here. I need some bread. Help me out, please. And the guy's like, no, I don't want to. And Jesus says that, that even though he may not get up because he's a friend with his neighbor, he will get up. And most of our translations say something like shameless audacity. And it's interesting how all that came about. But, but the, the, the like literal translation says, but to keep his good name, he'll get up and do it. See, if we believe that we have a heavenly father who wants to give us good gifts, who Jesus himself said that we have a good father who wants to give his children good gifts, then when we pray and we ask God for things, like to keep the reputation of his name, if we are the people who are carrying God's name to the world around us, why would we not pray for God to do stuff in our lives that only God can do? Like, like that, that's what it, I love. Ian e. Bounds, who kind of wrote all kinds of beautiful stuff, he had a prayer ministry that, that they believe kind of led and sparked the, the second great awakening in America. He said, God has ordained prayer as a means where he will do things as we pray, which he would not do otherwise. God doesn't answer to us, but God is, loves it when his kids ask him to do stuff. He loves it whenever he asks them to do things that fit his character and will perfectly. And he's like, I would love to do that for you. Man, I would love for that family member to come to know me in faith. Man, I would love to heal your kid. Man, I would love for you to find a job where you can glorify my name and, re and put resources back into making my kingdom come on earth. I would love to do that for you. We talked about this Advent a little while, uh, a few weeks ago, but, but when... We usually get from God what we expect to get from him. If we go to him not expecting him to give us anything, then that's what we'll get. That's what Jesus said, right? That's what James said. Some of you praying, it's like waves being tossed to and fro in the ocean. But if you pray with faith, Elijah was a man just like you and me. He said, hey, God, don't let it rain for three years, and it didn't. See, Elijah, we have the same stories of God. We know the exact same God, but our response is different, and our expectations from God are different. So Paul asked them to pray so that God would do something. Paul's in jail, chained to a wall, maybe even to another Roman guard so that he doesn't go anywhere and do anything. Because at this point, I'm sure they'd heard stories about them being in jail in the middle of the night, like these Christians, and they're praying and they're singing songs, and all of a sudden, like, the jail just opens wide open. So, like, Paul's at this point probably in maximum security, chained to a Roman guard, and he's saying, hey, pray for me so that God will open doors for me to not be chained up anymore, so that I can keep going and telling people about who God is and what he can do for them. Like, I, I love the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel. She just refuses to stop praying. She refuses, she goes to God, she's prayed expectantly, and God answers her prayer. And so what do you expect God to do? Even hearing God may sound really odd to you. I would encourage you, one, if you read one book this year in 2024, a guy named Dallas Willard wrote a book called Hearing God. Here, here's what he said. He said, hearing God, a daring idea, some would say, presumptuous and maybe even dangerous, but what if we as humans were made for it? What if the human system simply will not function properly without it? There are good reasons to think that it will not. Okay, so this is a guy, Dallas Willard, he's a professor at UC Berkeley, and he teaches modern psychology and philosophy. He's also a Southern Baptist minister, and he has a PhD in theology. Mul multiple degrees, he, he's teaching at UC Berkeley in the 80s, and this is what he's saying. There's good reason to think the human system will not function properly without hearing God's voice. The fine texture as well as the grand movements of life show our need to hear God. Isn't it more presumptuous and dangerous, in fact, to undertake human existence without hearing God? I love that. We can expect God to hear us and to speak with us as we seek him. Paul said that God may open a door for us to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. 
so that I may make it known as I should. See, praying like this, devoting ourselves to prayer, praying that God would do things that only he can do, and praying for other people, it expands our capacity of our faith. Like, like I, I love the story of Saul and of David. Saul, king of Israel, head and shoulders taller than everybody. He's good looking. He's the, he's the perfect CEO, like prototype for the world. But every time he faces a challenge in his leadership, he chooses human strategies. Like every single time. Like the first one was like, Samuel, he's a little bit late. I'll just do the sacrifices myself, even though I'm not supposed to, because everybody's going to get mad and stop liking me. Even the story of David and Goliath, the, the, the armor that it explains Saul having, it being bronze and it looking like the scale of a serpent. Hello, anybody read Genesis 3? Okay. But, but the brunt, that idea was the way it describes the shield, you know, the, the javelin, all the things that Saul had he wanted David to wear. Uh, anyone who in that time would have read that and thought, oh, Saul's got the best things humans can come up with to handle problems in their own power. But then it says that David comes along and he says, no, 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 no. No, we've got God, and when we call on God, he, he answers us, and he refuses to wear the armor. Saul knew that the, the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God's presence dwelled in the midst of his people, was taken away. It's coming back into the camp. Saul leaves on the excerpt, on, on the outside of the camp. As soon as he dies, David becomes king. The first thing he does is that he goes and he brings the presence back into the midst of God's people. And that's when, that's when the people start seeking God again. Saul had bought into that imminent frame, that small worldview that God, God will only work within what we can do in our own power. And then David says, no, no, I, I know a God. The man after God's own heart says, no, no, I know a God who, is, who I know has helped me defeat lions and, and bears by my bare hands. Like, he can take care of this guy. That's no problem. We don't, we don't need all this other stuff. We just need God's presence and God to work. And so here's what we do as we close. I just want to say, okay, you're like, Matt, I'll devote myself to prayer. Fine. <laughs> all right. All right. I'll devote myself to prayer. Um, I, I just want to encourage you. There's a phrase that I've accepted as my own where it says, don't, don't pray as you can't, pray as you can. Anybody, any, anybody uh, familiar with high-intensity interval training? Okay, so the idea is, like, if you're wanting to get in shape, you're wanting to build endurance. Like maybe you're wanting to be like a distance runner, like New Year, like I want to do a 10K, I want to do a half marathon, whatever. Uh, statistically, like over the last few decades, they, they've, they've shown like doing like a, like a 20 to 25 minute high intensity interval set. So the idea is like you go like 20 or 30 seconds as hard as you can at something. Like you're cycling, you're, you're running, you're swimming, whatever it is. And then you take like 10 or 15 seconds off. That will do more for you, building endurance, building base strength, than going out and running like seven or eight miles every day. Doing like short bursts as hard as you can and then resting in between and, and letting your body recover will do more for your body than just going out and doing big things every single day. And so for us, I think that that's a great way. If you want to devote yourselves to prayer, let me just encourage you, set a short amount of time every day, but put away every single distraction. 10 minutes, five minutes, turn your phone all the way off, like all the way and put it in a drawer in, the, in a different room. Psychologically, you cannot focus on something if you know your phone is on in a place where you can reach it within five seconds, okay? But if you turn it all the way off, put it in a different room, you will be able to focus better than if, than if you had your phone on at all. And just think of like a short burst where you can get really serious with God every day and devote yourself to that. And so, so here's how we're going to close today. I'm, I'm going to pray for us. And then we've actually got a great testimony today from uh, Madison Montgomery. Uh, she's been a part of this church forever. And uh, last year, you may, when she comes up, you may recognize her. She's uh, who we sent off on a YWAM a mission trip. And she's going to come up and kind of talk about this. She's going to give some experience about prayer. And then we're going to close with a little prayer time. But, but let me pray for us. And then Madison and Amy are going to come up. And Amy's going to give us a four others update as well. Jesus, thank you uh, for, uh, for making it possible for us to pray. Uh, Jesus, uh, help us to stay alert in it with thanksgiving, thinking about who you are, thinking about what you've done, Father. 
as we take time to devote ourselves to prayer, uh, meet us in that space. God, even if it's just a few minutes every day, that that's what we have as, as we set aside time and energy and resources to say yes to, to time with you, it means saying no to other stuff, but, but help us remember that we're not giving up something better for something worse, that we're giving up anything to be with you, which is of more eternal value. It's storing up treasures in heaven, Father. So be with us. Thank you for all that you've done. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, like Matt said, my name's Amy, and I get to be the Connections Director here. And we had the privilege of sending Madison, was it last summer? Yeah, last summer um, to go be with YWAM. And YWAM is an international ministry, um, and their mission is to know God and to make God known. And I've kind of just waited um, to be like, okay, when do I want to do an update with Madison? Um, because she was three months in, in Hawaii, how fun, in training school, and then three months in Taiwan. And then she came back and had three months at Crestridge, a local um, girls camp and I was like you know we could always interview her right after and you're going to be on a mission high and all of that but let's just give it a minute so I really just felt like the Lord just said to just just give it a minute so it was January and I'm like okay it's time let's get masked up here and I say all that to preface that she had no clue the sermon was about prayer I had no clue what she was going to say but we met on Monday and I was like Madison you got to share your story so with that like what Obviously, one of the lessons the Lord taught you is about prayer. That answers the first question. But tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so he just really, like, I really learned the importance of prayer and, like, how simple it is because I hear people pray and I'm like, oh, that was a good prayer. And I don't feel like I pray like that. But I learned that, like, God knows my heart and he doesn't need some, like, extravagant prayer to hear me or, like, want to let me feel his presence. Like, me just simply saying, hey, God, I need you right now is, like, enough for him. Yeah, great. And tell me about your experience in discipleship school when you had worship services, where it was all sorts of different um, people of faith of Jesus, but different ways to love Jesus. Tell me about that experience when you had to pray out loud. Yeah, that was um, really uncomfortable for me. I had never experienced that before, but every from one to two, every Monday, we would go in a room and all pray out loud at once. And I could not focus like there was just like over 60 people praying out loud at once and at the end of it someone would come up to you hand you a mic and go hey close this out and I was like "Ooh, nope don't do that um and so I would sit there and spend my time praying scripting out a prayer so that I sounded like I I was good at prayer even though like I'm not the best at it but I like learned over time that like again it doesn't matter what it what I sound like when I pray or like what I say because the Lord knows my heart and he knew what I meant by what I said, and that's all that really mattered. And I wasn't, I learned to not impress people anymore because my goal in praying wasn't to impress people. It was to pray to God and to talk to God. Yeah. So then how did you see that kind of lived out where the Lord kind of prepped you during those three months? But then in Taiwan, how did you see that lived out? Like, what was your confidence like then? Um, it kind of grew my confidence in prayer. Um, being a missionary in Taiwan, a lot of people just automatically assumed like I was just great at prayer so they would just come up to me and be like hey you pray for me because you're a missionary and I would be like oh yeah like and I would do it because I knew like I'm just interceding on behalf of this person and the Lord knows more about this person than I ever could and he knows this person's heart and he knows my heart so I'm just going to intercede for them and let the Lord do what he wants with that yeah and it's that simple prayer is just like Matt said, it's in, in pursuing intimacy with God. So we are, Matt's going to lead us into a time of prayer. You can come on up. And this may be scary for you, just as Madison said it was scary for her for the first time. But it's nothing to be scared about. You're literally praying either by yourself or just remember, like, you're just talking to Jesus. And Jesus is one of the best friends we could ever have. And I know that sounds so cliche, but it's just like talking to a friend. I mean, he came and died for us so we can have this, so that we don't have to have a holy of holies or a high priest. Like, we get to have that intimacy with God. So Matt's going to lead us into that. Yeah. Madison, thanks for sharing that story. Thanks for being on stage. I'm sure that's not fun either. But, yeah, we're glad to see thanks, what Madison. Jesus did in and through you. Um, okay, so so here's here's how we're going to close today a few things. If... if um, one, if, if, if you're interested and you're hearing this about prayer and, and you want to you wanna dive more into it uh, and you just want, maybe you, would, maybe you are like, Matt, I hear you that I need to do it and not read a book. If you want to read a book, 
email me. I'll shoot you some, some great kind of fire starters that I've found, uh, books that are short and easy that kind of do that. Uh, another thing is we've been doing for a few months uh, like a midweek kind of prayer meeting during the day. And so uh, anyone is welcome to join us for that. And so at 11.30 every Wednesday, 11.30 in the morning on Wednesdays, um, we're just in here. Sometimes it's just me. Sometimes it's me and a few other folks. Uh, and and uh, how it normally goes down, if you're like, that sounds, we- what do we do, whatever. It's not like we sit down and we all take prayer requests and like we pray for our aunt's toenail that's hurting, whatever. Like That's all important stuff. But what it is, we're trying to create space uh, where we can be with Jesus. And so typically how it works is there's a lady who comes and prays, um, but she'll just play the piano, like hymns on the piano, and everybody just kind of spreads out, and there's no set time, just about 11.30, everybody just kind of prays, and, and then you leave when you need to go. But if that's, if that's something you have time and space in your work schedule, and you're like, man, I'd love to just come be with other people middle of the week like that and pray, we'd love for you to come every Wednesday at 11.30 um, in the morning. And then, um, yeah, if you have any other things about prayer, we'd love to do that. But, but here's how we're going to end. It's almost time to go anyways. Uh, so, so, so here's gonna how we're, how we're going to end. Um, we're just going to take like a minute of silence. A lot of words have been said about prayer today. Um, let's just take some time to see what God has for us. And then I know at the end of the service, it's, it's awesome how everybody just kind of hangs out and talks. Uh, I'm, we're going to throw up some discussion questions uh, on, the, on the screen. And so if you want, as you're standing around talking to people, getting to know folks, uh, man, just talk through some of the questions that, that are there and uh, just kind of as a church family process prayer together. Uh, but let, we're just going to take like a minute of silence. Um, if, if you did grow up in a culture where coming to the altar to pray is something that's important to you, uh, feel free to do that. All, an altar throughout scripture is a place where uh, things go to die so that you receive the life of God. And so if, if you feel like, as I've taught, there's something that you're like, man, I need to give this up. I need to repent of this. I need to set that, I need to say no to this thing so that I can say yes to God in devoting myself to prayer. Feel free to come forward. Um, if you're here and you're like, I, I have something really significant that I need prayer for. Uh, we have some folks in the back, our prayer team, who would love to, to pray with you. You don't have to give any more detail other than just walk up. There's some guys standing on the back with lanyards and say, prayer team, in big letters. Just walk up to them. They'd love to pray for you. We're in the front. Pastor Fred, Amy, we'd love to pray for you too. But let's just take a minute just to respond silently. And if you need to go see somebody or come forward to pray, uh, let's do that. And then I'll close us out in prayer. Heavenly Father, our hearts are open and our minds are open, our ears are open to to hear you, uh, to be led by you. Uh, Father, your word tells us to keep in step with the Spirit, uh, to live according to the Spirit. 
uh, to put to death the, the, the deeds of the flesh um, which lead to death, but Father, to, to live according to your Holy Spirit, uh, which in turn we reap the benefits, which is life and peace. And so, Father, uh, I, I, I sincerely pray and that, um, that as we leave today, as we wake up tomorrow, uh, as we go back into the work week, as we get back into school, uh, Father, that, that we will devote ourselves to prayer, uh, that, that we here at Fellowship Asheville will become people that are marked by your presence. Um, that like Paul talked about, that, that we carry the aroma of Christ so that the more time we spend with you, the more we look like you. God, the more that we, we sound like you, the more that we're conformed into your image, being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And Jesus, I pray uh, that it's not just us adults in the room. Father, that as the middle schoolers here, the high schoolers here hearing it, God, let them know that they were made to live in your presence. And God, that it doesn't stop here, but hearing the, the kids downstairs, thinking of the little ones in the kids' hallway, Father. God, we sang the song today in Psalm 24. We heard about the generation of those who seek your face. Father, as we devote ourselves to prayer, let it trickle down into our homes with our children so that they come to know you at a young age and follow you faithfully, God, and that we get to see a generation rise up, that they're not the church of tomorrow, but they're the church of today, right now, Lord. And so, Father, as, as we meet you in prayer, God, God, we know that you are good. You are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness to those who call on your name. And so, Father, we call on your name when we pray. Meet us in those spaces this week, Father. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus who came to pay the penalty for our sin through his death, to sprinkle us clean from, with his blood so that we could, he rose from the dead so that we can experience a resurrection life with him, which is intimacy and communion with you, Father. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Talk to you soon.